0: Well, praise God. It's so good to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to have so many children. They look rambunctious this morning. Uh, Maybe we should say another prayer for the McGuire's as they go out. But uh, uh, so thankful to to, to be here. I look so forward to Sunday. I'm so thankful. Um, Yesterday, I spent the early morning hours just praising God for Emmanuel Baptist Church. I count it such a privilege to preach uh, the word of God this morning and to be here amongst uh, all of us. And one of the cautions I'll give you about this time of year is this time of year, again, is one of the most busiest times on our church calendar, and it's one of the most busiest times in our lives, isn't it? You know, it's full of family time, it's full of various different events, whether it happens to be at school, whether it happens to be again with family, whether it happens to be in our neighbourhoods that so often it can really choke out the whole significance. You know, the whole reason why we have Christmas on the calendar. It's not to say that Jesus came on December 25th and he was born again on that day. We really don't know what day he was born on. But the reason why we have it on the calendar is because this is worthy to be remembered. This is something, again, of so significance that it ought to be brought to our attention again, time and time again, and that happens to be the birth of Christ. And one of the things, again, I would implore you to do in all the busyness of life is don't miss out on Christ. You know, keep Him central in all of your thoughts and all of your uh, gatherings. Again, think, and you have to do that with intentionality, don't you? You have to intentionally, again, bring Him, again, to the forefront in our thoughts and everything Um, uh, Now that has nothing to do with my message this morning because we've been going through Acts chapter uh, 6 verses 1 to to 7 and I've never preached on this passage of Scripture. You know I, I don't think I've ever taught you know through Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 and this is why I love expository preaching because I find this passage of Scripture again so fascinating and one of the fascinating aspects of it is we see the formation of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ but not only that we see that there is a dispute that happens to be again in the church, you know, and it really threatens to uh, take that whole focus, even as we talked about it a few minutes ago, away from Jesus Christ and Him crucified, yea, risen from the grave, and put it on something else, you know, and it really need, needs to be dealt with. And how it's dealt with is seven men again are chosen out of the midst, you know, and the reason why is we realize one of the most favorite tacti- tactics of our arch enemy, the devil. Uh, Satan himself, is to destroy the church, and destroy the church not from the outside, but from the inside. And when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in general, there's so much uh, infighting, isn't there? There's so much backbiting, there's so much, again, party spirit, there's so much, again, against me, against you, you know, and we look, again, at the division that happens to be, again, in the wider church of Jesus Christ, and it's absolutely amazing, you know, when you ask people, what is the problem? You know, when there's church disputes, when there's church, again, infighting, when there's church divisions, when there's a party spirit, you ask people what the problem is, and many times they will point to the other people. You know, the other people, you know, we are serving God. We are the one who happened to be right. And both of them, again, say, uh, say that. You know, and we never ask the question, what is going on in our own hearts? You know, and this is why I love the apostle Paul, because the apostle Paul comes back, and in Galatians, which we read this morning, in Galatians chapter 5, he tells them to walk by the Spirit. You know, he tells them, again, not to fulfill the desires or the works of the flesh. You know, and a lot of times we say we're walking by the Spirit, we're walking by the Spirit, but how do you know that you're walking by the Spirit? And this is how you know, by what is coming out of you. You know, and I love this, because again, in um, Galatians... Uh, Chapter 5, beginning of verse number 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, if this is coming out of you, you are doing the works of the flesh. And he speaks again of this uncontrollable inner attitude coming out in sexual sin. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and uh, sorcery. And there's no walls that happen to be around somebody's life. But he goes on, and he says this, And think of the church, think again of our lives, And, and he talks about this, enmity. Strife, jealousy. How about this one? Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then he comes back to, to, uh, to more, drunkenness and orgies and things like this. And then he says this, I, "I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." You know, and so when you look at these things, we might say, well, yeah, 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 but just wait. This is what I want. This is what I want. And your intentions might be good. But if this is what is coming out of you, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are not doing the will of God. You're not walking by the Spirit. You're not pleasing our great Lord that happens to be again above. And I wonder, you know, in our families, how many of these attributes, how many of these vices are really seen? You know, in you know, our difficulties, and our trials that happen to be again in our life. How many, again, e- even in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we see these attributes when there's difficulties, when there's problems? You know, you know the warning that happened to be again right here is if you de- bite and devour one another, you're going to destroy one another and destroy that testimony of the Lord Jesus. And what we're told to do in all of our adversity, and all of our differences, and let me tell you, when we rub shoulders, none of us are perfectly sanctified. And if none of us are perfectly sanctified, there's going to be things that we do that are going to cross one another. And the question is, how do we handle one another? And we handle one another by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, he tells it a little later in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, here it is, is love, joy, peace. peace. How about this one? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. How about this one? Gentleness. How about this one? Self-control. Against, there is, against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, who have crucified the flesh with his passions and its desires. You know, and in times of difficulty, in times of disagreement, and even controversy, we need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. This is what needs to be coming out of each one of us. And, you know, if it is... Let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, when there is problems, when there is difficulties, we will seek biblical solutions to bring these things to pass. Our problem is so often we, we have that sense of inner righteousness that happens to be in us that we dig in our heels, we won't move, we won't bend, this is the will of God, this is the way it's got to be done, and we'll have the most uncharitable spirit that happens to be again over that. And, and it's amazing to look at because, again, we're not talking about things of the gospel, you know, things of the gospel are set in stone. We are unbending about that. But it's incredible how blind we are many times to our pride that happens to begin in our life, and we just won't bend. You know, and one of the things I'm really thankful for again is this example of the church. You know, this early church that happens to begin right here, and how they handled it. They they uh, didn't ignore it. And there there are two temptations, right? You know, any time there is controversy, any time there is two, uh, there is. Disagreements. There, there's two op- opposite sides that we go. One is to go, you know, with g- guns a-blazing. One is to take care of that situation. One is to put it to rest. You know, when we go in there, we never think about our words, we never think about our attitudes, we never think about what's going on in our hearts, and we just go ablazing, don't we? You know, and, and a, lo- a lot of people are characterized by that. Other people are characterized by, I'm just not going to handle this. I am just not going to enter in on this. And they never do anything. And what happens is they just turn their back on it and they hope it goes away Some, somehow in their sanctified goodness. If I just ignore it long enough, it'll disappear. And it grows in immensity. It grows in proportion to, to all of a sudden there's problems in the early church. Or the, the, there's a problem in the church. In the early church here, in Acts chapter 6, they handle the problem. You know they don't ignore it they handle it in a gentle and a patient way and let me just say this i'm so thankful for Emmanuel baptist church please don't read into this message we're just preaching through expositorily and this is in preparation because let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt there's going to be disagreements you know there's going to be again uh times where we disagree where we bump into one another And the question happens to be, how do we handle these disagreements? How do we handle these things that happen to begin in our life? How do we preserve the unity of the Spirit of God walking in peace, walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Well, this is an amazing thing about this this church. It's an incredible example to us. And so what I'm doing is preaching a preparatory message, you know, for these things that go on in our life, these things, again, that we will... Um, uh, go, go through even as a body of believers. And so I just want us to see two things. I want us to see the plan that they put forward, and then I want you to want us to look at how they implemented that plan. But let's look at first of all what the solution was. Again, this plan that they put forward. And you can see that in verses 3 and 4. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, let me just say this, you know, and please don't take this wrongly. It's just a reality of life. We are good at complaining. Do you agree with that? You know, we're really good at good, good at complaining. I mean, think of all the complaining that you did this week, you know, and I think a lot of times we're armchair Christians too, aren't we? We just fold our and and we'll look at somebody serving, or we'll look at somebody doing like this, and we'll just complain. You know, or we'll see a problem, we'll see a difficulty that I'm going to be there, and we'll fold our arms and we'll just complain about it. And and it's what we do. It's our natural bent as sinners. It really is. You know, and the thing that we have to ask ourselves, if God is sovereign, and we sung about that this morning, we even heard about that this morning. If God is absolutely absolutely sovereign, then He's put these problems and these difficulties and even these strifes in our life for our good and for his glory to solve them in such a way where we grow, but also other people grow. You know, one of the things I I would never do. But I wish we could do is, sometimes I wish we could te- uh, tape our deacons meetings. Our deacons meetings, again, are a time that I always walk away praising the Lord. And the reason why is we talk, uh, we meet once a month and we meet by Zoom. And we talk about, again, various different issues. You know, and some of these issues are really little. And some of them, again, happen to be, again, a little bigger. And l- let me say, 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 say this, there's seven of us that, that happen to be on that deacon call And the reason why I bring that up is we all don't see eye to eye. We all don't see on this issue, this is the direction we have to go, this is the direction we have to go, this is the direction we have to go. go. And we'll talk. And sometimes we'll talk for an hour, sometimes we'll talk for an hour and a half, again, about a particular issue. You know, and we'll debate it, and we'll debate it in such a patient, such a loving, such a kind manner that gives deference to one another. You know, and I love that. Because if you saw that, you, you would see, again, how to handle difficulties in the fruit of the Spirit. But here's something that all of the men understand. They understand in order to go forward, in order to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, a decision has to be made. You know, a direction has to be, again, accounted for. You know, action has to be taken about this issue, about this issue, about what we're going to do again over here. And as we talk about those things, we come to a consensus. Somebody might say this, well, you know, if that's the way everyone else sees it, I see it a little different. But if everyone else sees it, you know, I'm going to go along with it. I'm going to support that. And it's incredible to to see. And when you look at the early church that happens to be again right here, this is exactly what they did. You know, they, they took all of these things, and they really wanted to go forward that Christ might be proclaimed, that his name might be exalted. And the plan was basically twofold, wasn't it? You know, the first uh, that, uh, part of it had to do with the apostles, and part of it had to do with the congregation. And the part that had to do with the apostles is given in verse number four. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, and, and even as we looked at that before, we realized both of those elements belong together, don't they? You know, when we look at the pastoral ministry, when we look at those, again, who are given uh, that privilege of ministering the Word of God, so often they're busy with so much other administration that the Word of God, again, is given, again, a sparse uh, time, a sparse um, uh, study that happened to be in their life that they might present it to the the people of God. But I I love this. There's a preeminence of the preaching of the Word, but there's a preeminence of prayer. And and I really believe the more I... I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that both of those belong together. You know, we realize that we can exegete the Word of God, we can explain the Word of God, we can, we can uh, even give the, the greatest illustrations of how this truth, as far as applying it, the Word of God in people's lives. You know, we can all do that, but we realize without the Spirit of God working in the hearts of individuals, that Word will not have entrance. It will not do what it was intended to do. And what is prayer? Prayer is a language of dependence, dependence upon this great God. And when you look at these early Christians, when you look at the apostles that happen to be again right here, we're not going to be de- uh, deviated. This is the direction that we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. It doesn't mean that they're not involved in this life. It doesn't mean, again, they won't hand, uh, won't hand out some of the goods to these widows or whoever they happen to be. It doesn't mean that. But the preeminence that happens to be in their life is towards prayer, is towards the preaching of God's word. And the second aspect, again, the second specific command that's given as far as moving forward on this issue, on this uh, uh, problem that could have divided the church is in verse number three, and, and it deals with everybody. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men full of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will point to this duty." And I love that, won't you? Because the reason why there's a therefore is we're living in a fallen world, <laughs> isn't it? You know, the reason why there's a problem in the church is we're not all perfectly sanctified, and we need to deal with these issues. And what he calls upon in this chapter right here is everyone to be involved in the decision. In other words, not just a few, but everyone. You know, Choose, choose, pick out among you, right? Everyone's involved in that decision. Again, the right men that happen to be again for the, for the uh, duty that happens to be again right here. And let me just say this. There's a principle uh, that's taught gloriously all the way through the word of God. And the principle, again, is called complementarianism. And complementarianism basically teaches there is a difference between men and women. You know, they complement one another. You know, when God made women, believe this or not, men, he didn't make a mistake. You know, when 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 God made men, women believe this, or believe this or not, he didn't make a mistake. You know, we are different. You know, and and here it is, if we're going to image forth the great God, here's his compliment, men and women. We need men and women in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ to compliment. You know, and complementarianism basically teaches this. We are different, but we're the same, again, as far as worth. We're the uh, same as far as image bearers. We're the same, again, as far as dignity and standing in in the eyes of God. But there is a difference in functionality, right? And what's given as far as leadership in the early church is that it was given to men. You know, and it's taught not just in this passage of Scripture, but throughout the Word of God. But here's the thing, all are involved in this decision, every single one of them. You know, and they're told again to go, and you can imagine this massive amount again of believers that happen to be again here at this time, and they're told, told to choose seven men. Now, why is there seven men chosen? Why isn't there six? Why isn't there eight? And I'll give you my best theological answer to that. I really don't know why there was seven I really don't know. That was just the number that was chosen. There's nothing significant about that that I see at all in the scriptures, but there were seven men. But here's the real kicker from among you. In other words, some that we could see that are living among us, some that we could see that are serving among us, some that we could see that have been living among us, again, uh, for for a while where we could observe their character. It's not saying, again, Proconus, who happens to be again over there, he doesn't claim to know Christ, but he happens to be the treasurer of some companies that happen to be in Jerusalem. If we can get him in, he will really know how to di- di- distribute, again, all these goods in such a wise, and such a fashionable way. And he says, no, choose among you. Otherwise, believers that we can see, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, their, um, uh, their uh, character, that they truly have the welfare of believers, they truly have the welfare of the glory of God. You know, and here's, and here's the thing. When the disciples are given over to prayer and the preaching of the word, that's absolutely necessary. Because one of the things that we have to do is train up the next generation, isn't it? What we have to do is train leaders. And how do we do that? Through the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of God. So much so that there's an intentionality in raising leaders who can lead, who can function in that capacity in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I'm afraid many times in churches, when it comes to various different offices, when it comes to various different responsibilities, especially in leadership, you know, if somebody has a warm body and somebody who happens to be, again, willing is willing, then let's put them in. You know, if somebody, again, we've never heard them teach, we've never heard them preach, you know, um, or we've had them, heard, heard them preach and heard them teach and they really can't teach, but they want to teach Sunday school, let's put them in. Let's make them an adult Sunday school. Let's make them a teen Sunday school teacher or whatever it happens to be. Well, you know, we don't have a lot of candidates, again, for deacon and we want to have, again, deacon, and here's a willing body who wants to be a deacon. You know, as long as they're a warm body, as long as they're male... Let's put them in. And what what, what Peter says here, along with the other disciples, is no. They have to have spiritual character. They have to be up to the task that God has in leading the people of God. You know, and you have uh, a fuller list of the capacities or the spiritual requirements of uh, those, who, those who would fill the office of a deacon over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse number 8. And it says, deacons, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. In other words, they're not to be gossips. You know, they're not to be going a, 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 Along, you know, it's saying a double tongue would say one thing to one person, but another thing to another person. They're not to be that way. They're not to be addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery. In other words, they must know something of the faith, the glory of the faith. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own household well. And let me just say this. Men, it's to our shame many times that our wives outdo us spiritually. It's to our shame many times, when you look at our wives, many times they're leading our families spiritually because we are just too lazy to take up the mantle. You know, and we can blame a lot of things. We can blame the church. We can blame the pastor. We can blame our wives. We can blame society. But that is given to us. That is our responsibility. You know... And instead, this is what happens in so many uh, churches, instead of a plethora of candidates, there are very few that meet the requirement of those who would be deacons. And what he gives in this passage of Scripture is two characteristics that are to dominate, again, the lives um, as, as, as far as that would qualify them in the distribution of these goods. And one is a good repute. And you know what a good repute just is? Is a, good re- is a good reputation among the people of God. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say that they need a reputation among the people of God. All of us have a reputation. The question is, what kind of reputation? Do we have a good reputation? And good reputation is basically the characteristics that were named in First Timothy chapter 3. Isn't it? You know, holding the mystery with, the, with a clear conscience. You know, there's, no, there's n- no mark that happened to be again, no mark. It's not that they're perfect, but there's no glaring deficiency that happened to begin in their life. And here's a big one. Here's a big one. What is their family life like? You know, how does this man really treat his wife? Is there respect? Is there the idea, again, of dignity in holding her up? How does he train his children? You know, uh, well, what are his children like? Because if he cannot control, if he's not stewarding his family wisely, how is he ever going to steward the wider body of, the, of Christ? In a dignified, in a godly way. You know, and so we have that, a good reputation. That has to be seen. That has to be lived out among the people of God. But not only that. But the second one, and I, cl- I clued this together, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I think both of those belong together. Full of the Holy Spirit is not talking about degrees, is it? It's not talking about again somebody has 50 percent of the Holy Spirit, somebody has 75, somebody has 20, somebody has 85. It's not talking about that. If you, the Spirit of God dwells in you, the, to- the totality of the Spirit dwells in you. You know, He is a person. He's not divided up. But what it's talking about is control. You know, and how do we know the Spirit of God is controlling our life? And here it is, because we're walking in wisdom. And here's the question, well, how do you know you're walking in wisdom? You know you're walking in wisdom when there is an obedience and love to follow the Scriptures and the God of the Scriptures, right? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. Where do we learn about this God? Where do we learn about the Savior? In this God-inspired book that's given to us. And so to be full of the Holy Spirit, to walk in wisdom, as we're walking according to the Word of God, making those decisions that happen to begin according to the Word of God. And you can imagine how necessary this was in the distribution of these goods. Now, let me just say this. You know, because a lot of people will look at Acts chapter 6, and they'll say this, these are the first deacons. And deacons, again, just is a word, diakonos, which means, again, uh, one who serves table. But when you look at the official position of deacons, these are probably not the first deacons. You know, this is probably, they, they serve in a deacon-like capacity, but this is probably just put over this one difficulty, this one problem. If we're going to solve this one difficulty, we're going to solve this one problem. This office would probably disappear. You know, but they do serve, here it is, in a deacon like way to the people of God. And here's the question again I have for, for us this morning. You know, as you look at your life, as you look at your testimony, what kind of reputation do you have among the people of God? I, I think a lot of people even stay away from the people of God because they don't want, want people to see their reputation. But choose among you, right? Those who are dwelling. Those are living. Choose among you people of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And let me ask you the question again. What kind of reputation do you have among the people of God? You know the good news in all this? The good news in all this is our God, our Savior, our Lord is in the business of changing our reputations. Isn't that amazing? taking something, again, that looks so unpromising and changing it into a trophy of his grace. You know, through the ministry of his word, through, again, really examining our hearts and examining our lives in light of the scriptures, making those changes that we see. You know, and one of the most encouraging things that we can recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt is God is in the business of taking men, taking women and molding them in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even, again, creating leaders in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm always amazed at that. I think leaders come from some of the most surprising places many times when you look at them. You look at one individual and go, oh, man, they're going to be a leader. They're going to do so so much good. And you look at the other individual, and they look so unpromising. And God, through the Spirit, takes that man, takes that person, and molds them. It's so much so that they become that trophy of grace. God can change your reputation. You know, we just put ourselves under the ministry of that word and recognize, again, his glory and his goodness. And that's one aspect, right? They came up with a plan. You know, this is, how, this is the direction. This is the way that we're going to go, that Christ might be manifested. Christ might be known. But you know what you have to do with a plan? You know what you have to do with a plan? You have to implement a plan. You have to bring it to pass. And you can see that in verses 5 and 6 because look at what it says. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. You know, they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And it's amazing, again, passage of Scripture. And let me just say something about that first statement, because the first statement in verse number five says this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now, think about it. Here it is. Here's the way we're going to go. Here's what we're going to do, right? And it pleased the whole gathering. So the question you have to ask ourselves is, what did they say that pleased them? And what they said was two things, remember? The first thing is that they were going to let the apostles, they were going to let those again who were responsible for the ministry of the word, administer the word of God to give themselves over to prayer, to give themselves over to the word of God. And when you look at some pastors, some individuals who happen to be again in full-time ministry, the church again presses upon them, presses upon them, press upon it. You have to be on every committee. You have to come out to every meeting that the church has... N- irregardless of who it happens to be. You have to be, again, in various different groups, various different uh, societies that happen to be, again, in your community in order to be a good witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to do, 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 do all of these things that what goes missing, what goes, again, wanting, many times, is the ministry of, of the Word of God. And let me just say... It does not mean beyond a shadow of a doubt. And don't get me wrong that the pastor doesn't do anything except preach the word. He's involved in people's lives. You know, he's charitable and he tries to be a good example to the people of God and live with the people of God. And we realize that. And let me, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't do it perfectly. And I'm, I'm, nobody gasped at that. So so, so so you see my life, praise God. Praise God. And thank you so much again for your patience with me. But here's one of the things that I think is such an oddity of Emmanuel Baptist Church. You really give me time, you know, in my study, you really give me time to learn the Word of God, exegete the Word of God, and prepare to preach the Word of God. So let me tell you, in churches, that's an oddity. But it's an absolute necessity because this is what, what, what you're saying. If we're paying this gentleman uh, a, a, a salary and we're, and he's given his time over to exegeting the Word of God, studying the Word of God, getting ready to pre- pre- prepare and preach the Word of God, praying again over that Word, this is what you're saying. We're going to have less. We're going to have less um, various different ministries that that happen to be there we we might have we might not be able to do or the pastor might not be able to do a teen ministry or an outreach ministry that that's what we're saying but here's what you're going to get you're going to get the word of god that truly changes us that truly molds us into the image of the lord jesus christ and here's the thing i love about this passage of scripture is they said it to the congregation and the congregation did this it pleased them Yeah, we want you. We want you to get, we see the importance of this. We see the calling in all of our lives to make and mature disciples for the glory of God, and we want you to continue on that way. I mean, that should encourage our hearts with the importance of, again, both preaching and prayer, again, in the life of those who would lead us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. But not only that, they also not only sought the direction of what the apostles should do in this whole situation but also implemented the directions that the apostles gave in their own lives. You know, a decision had to be made. And that decision had to be made by the whole congregation. And I really loved the way that they made this congregation. No doubt they came together. No doubt they started talking about it. No doubt they started praying. And no doubt they realized, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we'll talk about this in a second, that the decision that they came up with corporately was the will of God here's a congregation who is filled who are controlled by the spirit of God trying to solve this difficulty and here they choose seven men and they realize these seven men are full of the spirit of God and full of wisdom and able to do that now what happens at this point in uh, the service in preaching this passage of scripture we start to look at these seven names you know and let me just say this We know very little about these seven men. In fact, you know, you look at the biblical record, we only know uh, something of two men in the biblical record that are named right here. One happens to be Philip, the evangelist. He's the one who takes the word of God and and it's expanded throughout Samaria. We see his ministry among the Samaritans that happen to be there and also the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And we also see Stephen, who happens to be the first martyr in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see him for the next chapter and a half. But besides that, we don't know anything about these men. So what can we say about them? Something very significant. And you know what we can say? You know the most significant thing about these seven names? You know what it is? I'm going to tell you. They're all. Greek names. Think about that. Right? Here's everyone. Gather together. Who are we going to choose? And you know what they choose? They choose seven Greek speaking, seven in Greek origin people who are going to be over the distribution of the wealth that's coming in to look after not only the Hebrew widows, but the Hellenistic widows. And all of these names are Hellenistic. I mean, I would have loved to be on a fly in a wall to hear that discussion as it went on. You know, how how to start out, were were some people a bit nervous about this? Oh, man, you know, here we are in Jerusalem. Everything is going well. Let's try and get four Hebrews, four Hebrew believers on on that board. Oh man, everything's going well. If we can just tip it, you know, the Hellenistic way. And can you imagine? Maybe as they're talking, there's this real surprise that everyone that happens to be present really wants to honor, really wants to glorify, really wants to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, and really wants Christ to be uplifted above all and be this testimony of his saving efficacy. I mean, think of it. Think of it. Seven Greek names. You know, what did it speak of? It spoke of this. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter nationality. Doesn't matter creed. Doesn't matter, you know, race. Doesn't matter political agendas or whatever it happened to be. Doesn't matter if we're men or women, rich or poor. We're all one in Christ. We're all one. And in an age and day where there's so much division, You look at our society. You look again, even as you talk to people that happen to be again in your workplace, and there's division, there's anger, there's frustration, there's infighting. When you look even at this time of year, even among families, some families will never get together because there's so much infighting. Seven Greek names. And isn't it amazing that so often we are good at making war. But what we're called to do is be peacemakers. And follow, again, our Lord Jesus Christ. The decision, think about it, the decision that, that shows these men, please them. You know, And you can see that in verse number six, because look at what they did. Everyone's involved in this. They set them, right? These they set, right? These are the congregation. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And this is the first of laying hands uh, that we have in the book of Acts. And there's a number of laying hands that we will see throughout the book of Acts. And let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's, there's no unction going There's no power that happens to be going. They're not infused with some sort of glory or some sort of grace or some sort of grandeur by the laying on of these hands. But it's basically saying this, you know, we sought the Lord's will and we recognize as we lay our hands on these, these are the men that the Lord have decided to lead in this enterprise, in this ministry, in this function. When we lay our hands upon them, these are our Men, there are representatives, because there are our representatives, whatever they decide, however they decide to use those functions, to use that wealth, to use the monies coming in to minister to those that happen to be around us, we are going to submit, we are going to support them. That's what's meant there, you know, by this whole congregation. And I find it absolutely amazing, because so often we don't think of the impact that has in our society that happens to be around us. Because in verse number seven, and we looked at this last time, so I won't say too much about it, but look at verse number seven. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then it says this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Right, And we said last time, some of these priests, remember, they're in the confines of Jerusalem, could have been present at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. They could have been mocking, scorning, ridiculing, and delighting in the pain of Jesus Christ. But now they've come to the saving faith of Christ. Now, here's the question. In the context, in the context, why do they believe in Jesus Christ right now? When we say, well, spiritual illumination, and you're absolutely right, the Spirit gives life. But the Spirit also uses our intellect, our minds, doesn't he? You know, where we see the validity, we see the truth. Well, how did they see the truth? And this is how they probably saw the truth, at least what I think. Here are the Pharisees, here are the Sadducees, and they're always fighting. Here here are the Sanhedrin, and there's so much debate, there's so much bickering, there's so much hatred towards one another in that name of God. Here are these Hellenistic Jews, here are these Palestinian Jews, and they hate one another. And all of a sudden they observe the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ living as one, living in unity, irregardless of who each individual happens to be. And it gives a strong testimony of the glory of Jesus Christ, of the efficacy of who he truly is. You know, Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, he said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, give, uh, glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't that what is, what's happening? You know, these priests are observing. They're looking. They're seeing how they handle the, these difficulties, how they handle these individuals, what is going to happen. And they handled it in such a way that it speaks of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm thankful for the membership. I'm overwhelmed in gratitude to be preaching here this morning. I count it an absolute privilege, an absolute unmerited grace that God has given me to bring this forth today. But I'm also not naive of who we happen to be. None of us are perfected. There are going to be challenging times. There are going to be difficulties that come up. The question is, who are we going to magnify? Who are we going to seek to glorify? What is going to come out of us? And whose glory is it really going to speak of? May all of us be filled with the Spirit of God and glorify, magnify this great Christ who happens to be above It's about him. It's about him. Let me say it again. It is about him. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're overwhelmed by your goodness to each one of us. Lord, in bringing us to a Bible-based church, Lord, a church that loves Christ, That wants to teach your word. But Lord, even as we look at the church in Jerusalem, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was a church that loved Christ. This is a church that loved biblical preaching, loved the preaching and teaching of the apostles. And yet there's strife, there's difficulty. And the question is never will we have strife? Will we have difficulty? Will we have a partisan spirit at times? But Lord, the real question is, how are we going to handle that? And there's only two options. One is the works of the flesh, and the other is through the fruit of the Spirit. God, may we be so controlled by the Spirit of Christ that what comes out of us truly ministers to those that happen to be around us. I thank you so much, Lord, for the humility of many of the Hebrew Christians that existed back then that they wanted to give the message that they truly cared for these widows. They truly cared for their Hellenistic brethren. And God, may we do that in the midst of any disputes, Lord, to give that kind of love, that kind of assurance to our fellow believers, Lord, for the eternal glory of Christ. We thank you so much. Just be with us now as we go to our song service. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.